Hello, and welcome to the Coffee and Comics Club. I am Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. <laughs> Good morning. I can already tell my volume sounds better. <laughs> We've ah, been excellent. going over this before we hit record, and uh, as soon as I started talking alone, I was like, oh yeah, it is It is better than last week. So Yeah, we had some, I don't know if you noticed, we had some <laughs> slight volume issues last week, so hopefully this will... This will be a little better. That's that's a rare thing I've noticed. Like usually we're pretty good, and every once in a great while we'll have a. Because I don't know if you know this, but Todd and I are rarely in the same room when we do this. Yeah, we're in different states, and we uh, are able to make it work pretty well, considering. So yeah, and I think we've also uh, maximized our our like technical um, ability and minimized our effort. Like we're always trying to do. <laughs> so we both have pretty. Pretty good setups, you know. Mm. It's not just uh, gaming headphones kind of thing. Yeah, You're, yeah, yeah. We used to do, which was uh, suboptimal. <laughs> yeah, not quite as good. <laughs> well, uh, this is Coffee and Comics, and we talk about the coffee we're drinking, and then we talk about uh, the comics we're reading. Um, I'm curious because we broke those rules last week. Uh, but what uh, coffee are you drinking this morning? Well, since last week, I've had some time to play with my new toys, my burr grinder and my goose-nosed uh, kettle. And as I predicted, the best coffee I've ever made has occurred wow. in the last week. Yeah. The idea of, of getting precise water temperature and because the goose – I've mentioned this last time, but because the goose-nosed uh, kettle, the, the, uh, the, the spout, I guess, starts at the base instead of at the top – you're always getting the the water exactly as the temperature gauge tells you. You're not getting like cooler water at the top, you know, which most traditional kettles would give you. So you can get really good water temperature. You can also really be precise when you're pouring it over. So, you know, when you see the professional baristas do an AeroPress or a pour over and they've got like that really, you know, they, they can go really slow over the grinds and that makes a massive difference. Um, you're just, you're getting precise water temperature on the grinds when they need to happen. And then the burr grinder is both fun, but also gets you really good, fresh grinds. I kind of feel I'm never going to be at exactly this, but I feel like I'm a, a step closer to Gail Bedecker on Breaking Bad when he does the whole <laughs> coffee chemistry thing. Like, I swear to God, that episode made me want coffee so bad. Cause it's just like, it's like, first of all, Brian Cranston sells the hell out of that. Like he drinks it and goes, literally goes, ah. Like, like it's a freaking commercial. <laughs> and I believe his next line is, why the hell are we making meth? Because apparently like the coffee was so good in this contraption. And it's like, I've kind of wanted to do that at some point, but this is, this is close enough. I've got all the, this is like Amish coffee. If there ever was any, it's like, I'm, I'm literally uh, wow. to your point, you know, 45 minutes later, not really. <laughs> I laughed. I was going to ask like, start. What what have you cut it down to now? I'm, no, I'm still under I'm still, a half an hour. No, no, no. I'm still 15 minutes max, usually around 10, because I have to hand grind it every time, which takes a little longer. But I do that while the water boils. Of course. So, so what what temperature do you? What is your optimal temperature there? It's tricky because we're you know we're above altitude. Yeah, you know, we're at 5280 plus here in Manitou even. So I've got to go to full boiling. The my gauge, uh, the little thermometer on the top of the of the kettle has a a slice of green that is perfectly calibrated to boiling. And so once I hit that, I think it's like 275 or something like that. Once I hit that, I, I go. Cause I think that getting the water temperature that hot is important. There is a place where if it gets too hot, you get the bitter taste. But I think because we're so high, the water will just never be 
Mm. When I say high, I mean high up in altitude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're so high, man. The water's never good enough. I no, the water will never be that hot. So it's more about making sure it's not too cold, and then that you're constantly hitting the coffee at the right at the right um, speed and temperature. So it's it's been great. I've actually run out of beans. So as soon as we're done recording, I'm gonna go grab some more because um, I just cranked through whatever beans we had left this week, playing and experimenting and making crap coffee for Rachel and myself. And and yeah, so we're out. Anyway, well, I've been experimenting too uh, this week, but it's it, it orders of magnitude uh, less impressive than the kind of experimenting you do. <laughs> but so I don't want to impugn. Oh, Todd, don't cut yourself down. I don't want to impugn this uh, this this roaster um, for you know who made this coffee I'm drinking by naming it. But I'll tell you that I think what I've discovered is, um, and when I'm doing this at home, and we all know I'm a philistine. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I think what I've discovered is I need a darker roast for my iced coffee, and uh, at home I need I got to pull back on the vanilla. Like it's got to mm-hmm. be like just like a nip, just barely, just a drop in mm-hmm. there. Um, I had this is <laughs> all to say I had a really terrible cup of coffee yesterday <laughs> because I could and it was like I tasted it and I went mm, good okay I'm gonna it's pretty dark I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little vanilla in there and I th- put what I thought was just like a splash you know just like a pump. But uh, it was way too much. And then I had this sweet kind of vanilla chocolate milkshake thing for the next, you know, hour or whatever I carried that around before. So (laughs) this morning, pretty concentrated, man. Be careful. Yeah, I I think I um, slightly had spoiled myself because before I did that cup of coffee at home yesterday, I had gotten um, a vanilla latte at this really nice place called Coffee Nature. Um, and they do like, I, I, I don't know how they describe it, but it's basically like a homemade vanilla syrup or something. Um, I don't know if they call it like handmade or artisanal or something, but they're, they're making the syrup somehow there, Uh you know? Uh, and that gave it just the right amount of, you know, sweet and flavor. And then I I get home and I'm like, yeah, I'll just dump this in. And that didn't work. So Mm. anyway, uh, I got a pretty good cup right now. It's a little darker, uh, you know, just a, just a tiny splash of vanilla and, um, some milk and uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm uh, I'm amped up for some reason. <laughs> well, heck yeah. Well, let's well, do. Let's... It's because I slept. That's what oh, it was. <laughs> that's right. That thing called sleep. That does help. I f- I fell asleep watching the informant. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. I uh, <laughs> you and I have talked about this before. I so quick quick sidebar. I adore the movie The Informant. Yeah. And- <laughs> And it's one of those movies where, like, every time I watch it, I see it in a different way slightly. Like, the first time I watched it, it never occurred. And spoilers, if you haven't seen The Informant yet, this it's not spoilers oh, so much because it's, it's a wonderful – you can know everything and still enjoy the hell out of it because it's yeah, just yeah. really well. Like, like, it is Steven Soderbergh, if I'm not mistaken, yes. directing. And it's cast with Matt Damon, but almost exclusively stand-up comedians in all the supporting yeah. roles. I was thinking um, last night, like, this is the best thing Earwolf Podcast Network has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins, <laughs> uh, uh, Tom Papas, and Joel McHale. Oh, and I guess the only non-comedian is um, Scott Bakula. He's he's in, in a non-comedian role, but yeah, it's so damn charming because it's based on a true story. So there's there's a little you know there's that in it. It's um, stylistically they nail the aesthetic of the early '90s, specifically like yeah. '91, '92, '93. Like the fashion, I, the lighting, oh the, the look. Like it's just you're watching this going, damn it, how did they? The, the set designer is great, but what, what throws me off and like the first <laughs> time I watched this, I never noticed this. 
the entire movie is about how uh, Matt Damon's character just can't like he starts one lie that just blows out of control and he just keeps adding on and adding on and adding on. I never noticed that his wife was in on it from the beginning. Like she knew, <laughs> and there's a line that she, where there's a scene between the two of them very, very early on, like before Scott Bakula even shows up, I think. And she, they're having conversation. And I, at first I never, I never even once thought about her knowing in this context, but she says something to him. She's like, just tell them the truth, Corky. That's all you can do. And I'm like, oh shit, she knows he's made, like, she's painfully aware mm. of all this. And so like the next time you watch it, keep that in mind. And then you're like, oh man, she's just as complicit. Like it's, and it just keeps twisting and turning. So you can, you always kind of gleam some new shade from it. Um, I, I, the new shade I, I uh, gleaned last night was when John Dowd shows up and I was like, holy shit, it's the president's lawyer. Which one's John Dowd? He, uh. So when they bring in all the um, uh, ADM attorneys for all of the employees to talk to, he's yeah. the one that goes in the room with uh, Matt Damon, uh, Mark Whitaker. Oh, and that and, actor's and then, name is then, John Dowd? No, no, no. That actor is playing the attorney, John Dowd, who is currently a, or, or no, he is now an ex-attorney of the president's. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That guy that was ADM's. Attorney, one of his, one of ADM's attorneys back then is now. <laughs> oh my God! See, this is what I'm talking about. Like he, now, I have to rewatch it just to know that. Like, yeah. Oh wow! It's, and it's just <laughs> here's the thing though that really gets me. I think the reason I'm so obsessed with this movie is that it's um it because they cast stand up comedians. All the performances are really casual, like really casual. And there, but there's there's an yeah. there's something there too. Like every like Tom Papa is awesome, but he plays that role so perfectly. He yeah. plays basically like the son of the founder of ADM and he's kind of like the new interim like the CEO yeah, essentially. Oh, he's I mean, so more good. or less. But he's like but oh. you watch him and you're just like these casual performances and the whole movie kind of has this feeling of like they are it's, and I don't know if this was intentional, but like they are all in like in one reality and Matt's Matt Damon is in another yeah. one. It's perfect. And, yeah, it's and, it's so and yeah, and it's so funny to have all comedians basically playing like the straight, you know, actors in that. Like <laughs> and even Pat Oswalt shows up crazy. and he's just like, oh yeah, oh, Pat oh, Oswalt's in it. Um, Biff go. from Back to the Future is in it. I'm sorry, yes! I can't remember that. Uh, Tom, name. Tom. Oh God, yeah. Some, it's Biff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and uh, and Melanie Linsky is uh, Matt Damon's wife, or you know, plays plays his wife in the movie. Now, okay, who uh, is she? Because I'm very unfamiliar with her. She. Oh my gosh. You, she. If now that you know, like you'll find her everywhere. Okay. She's in uh, Togetherness on HBO, and uh, she had a recurring part on Two and a Half Men back in the Charlie Sheen craziness days. Mm. Um, and uh, oh my God, she's like just literally in everything. Um, you say that she's probably going to pop up on Silicon Valley next season. We'll be like, there she is. Like she's like, because here's I wouldn't the thing. doubt it. Cause she's in a bunch of HBO things. She works with the Duplass brothers a bunch. Oh, um, okay. yeah. But I, uh, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. The sorry informant is, is very special to both of us. So like, anytime it comes you, up in conversation, not to, uh, belabor this point, but, uh, I, I started watching a really terrible movie last night called Molly's game. Oh God. Um, that I rented. <laughs> this sounds bad. Well, I know it's it's a true Mom's story about game. this uh, the skier who uh, suffered this terrible accident, um, and you know it sort of lived her whole life trying to become a, a you know Olympic skier. So once this accident happens and she can no longer ski anymore, it's like you know she's twenty something and she has no skills, no, no you know. So she becomes a 
a cocktail waitress and then she becomes like a personal assistant for this guy in Hollywood and she starts running an underground poker game with like all the most famous rich people in Hollywood and eventually gets busted for running this this underground gambling thing. Mm. But the movie is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. What? And it is just like it's like if you just wanted the audiobook of the book that this woman wrote <laughs> because he has and it's Jessica Chastain. And oh. so it starts out like you know just her narrating her story up to that point. Uh then they show the bust which doesn't make any sense. It's like she gets injured skiing and then it's like, you know, then they show the bust and then it's the record scratch. Like, you know, you're probably wondering how I got here kind of mm. thing. Mm. And you're like, no, we're not. You that's <laughs> telling us every detail of your life. You just left out the in-between part and it would not stop. Like a, a scene would happen. You would see what happened. And then she would start telling you what was about to happen next. And you're like, Oh my God. Aaron Sorkin, you should know better. <laughs> show, don't tell. Like just, yeah. just show it. That's it's a video. It's wow. film. So then to watch the informant where that it's not narration, but that uh, you know, the the inner monologue of Mark Whitaker is perfect. Yeah. Because it does exactly the opposite thing. It like just subverts everything that's going on. Something very, very serious is going on, and he's wondering, like, yeah, is that I think that's the name of an island in the South Pacific. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I need a new sweater. And it's like, dude, this is the FBI. They're about to bust you. Why are you thinking of this? Anyway, sorry. Uh, informant, great. <laughs> <laughs> a must-see. <laughs> Molly's Game. <laughs> Molly's Game, the first movie that caused me to look up Google Play's uh, refund policy on rented oh, no. movies. <laughs> oh, no. I remember doing that uh, for The Happening, but I didn't even rent it. I just remember right before Google bought YouTube, <laughs> they had Google Video as like yeah. a service. And I remember watching the happening. Somebody had somebody had put a um, uh, you know filmed in the theater a shitty version of it up there. And 20 minutes in, I'm like, I I had forgotten that I didn't rent it, and I was like looking like, how can I get my money? Oh, that's right, I just did this for free. Hmm. I mean, I, I was so upset at that uh, just the quality of that movie. Anyway, anyway, yes. let's get to the the picks Woo! this week. Can we talk about coffee already? <laughs> we already talked about coffee. I told, you, I told you I'm already somehow hyped from the sleep. So. Uh, uh, do you, do you want to start this week? I think that's where we came down. What have you yes. picked for us? I will start this week. I mentioned last episode that I was going to be doing another pick that was a little unusual. Um, and, and that's true, but it's also rather conventional. Um, this book came out last year, I think. Let me just double check that. Last year, I didn't, was that the last year at the very tail end of 16? I think it was last year. Yeah, 17. And uh, published by Image. And I remember seeing a, a promo for it on the Image website going well that looks cool and then kind of you know a month or two went by because they promote these damn things like way too early like you know it's i hate that it's like if you have my attention sell me then don't make me wait an indeterminate amount of time then put the responsibility on me to come back to consume this thing you're <laughs> promoting it's just it's so totally. stupid so it's like it's it uh, finally and i remember it popped back up again on my amazon list i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna grab this and I grabbed it, and then for some reason, it took me a month to read it because it kind of felt a little tricky to get into. And then once I did, I was like, oh, I'm so happy I did. It is a book called Solid State, and it is conceived by Jonathan Colton, uh, indie musician, kind of geek, extraordinary, you know, geek musician extraordinaire. Cruise um, host, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. It's written by Matt Fraction of Sex Criminals fame. So if you like that book, uh, it's you know, keep stay keep listening in and the arts by albert montes and um 
let me let me kind of pull back. Uh, it started as a sci-fi concept album that uh, Jonathan Colton was writing, but as he was working on it, he's like, "Man, these some of these songs have a certain narrate you know narrative voice to them. And if I put them in this order, it's there's a story kind of starting to emerge, and that story is kind of the story of AI, and and this is what it could say, and this is what it could be like." So he started doing this. He really liked Sex Criminals, so he reached out to Matt Fraction and said, "Hey, do you want to help me with this?" Matt said yes. And they started uh, writing, and I can't remember in the back. He has like a little blurb about the kind of the making of in the back, and I don't remember how uh, Montes got involved, but or Montes. I don't think it's Montes. I think it's Montes. Um, but somehow he got involved. And they, they they put it out, and part of it was the fact that this is a concept album, uh, Solid State, which you can go to Spotify right now and pull up, and just it's there. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's it's they, they it's, came out at the same time. Gotcha. So think. Think of this like the coolest liner notes for a concept album ever because it's a, a full-out graphic novel. And you can listen to the album alongside the book and it matches up perfectly. It is like Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. And so if you have the patience for that and you don't get distracted by listening to music with lyrics in the background, I highly encourage you to do that at least at one point when reading this. Because it's it, it's eerie how it matches up, and as long as you don't you know you keep a, a fairly regular speed, you don't go too fast. You'll it'll it'll be a really satisfying experience. But the whole book is 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 that, and thematically, it's a lot like Office Space. And I'm gonna also throw in Her, the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, very similar, very similar kinds of themes going through there. Um, his starting place for the album. And then also for the book was the simple notion of the internet sucks now. So it's kind of where he begins. And I should also know too that the, the book is shaped very, it's almost like a perfect square. It almost looks like a, you know, like a vinyl cover. And I'm surprised he didn't do, you know, a fully packaged like this plus a vinyl. Like that would have been kind of even cooler, but um, I get why he didn't. But it just, it kind of has that, it has the feel of like, oh, this is connected to music somehow. There's lots of great metaphor and symbolism uh, in this. And in fact, that took the reason it took me a month to get through it the first time was just because the first couple pages, I didn't quite know. You know. I was listening to the music. You're listening to the first thing, trying to read it. It wasn't quite syncing up in my mind. I think if I had known the, you know, what he was getting at, I would have, I would have kind of uh, been a lot more patient. And I think I was just like, you know, I was, I was expecting something else at first. The metaphor and the symbolism is, is basically for the state of the human condition given our current dependence on technology. So it's all about that. And like I said, if you throw in some office space and some her for good measure, you're going to have this. Um, it's also, I, I, I hinted at this just a moment ago, but it's it, the first several pages are kind of like Dune. You know, you're wondering what the hell is going on. They don't really, they don't really sort of tee you up in sort of the traditional like, you know, here's our character. Here's what the, it just, they just kind of drop you in and stuff's happening. Um, so there's, there's a little of that, but if you stick with it, you're, you'll be rewarded pretty quickly. Like after about, I think eight or nine pages, I was like, Oh, this is what he's up to. So there, the story is broken down into two, two chunks and it's a tale of two, two guys named Bob. There's a Bob of the future and a Bob of the past. And as the story progresses, you realize how, how they're connected. And it's, it's, um, not necessarily, you know, like they're not father and son, but there's sort of a connection between them that stretches you know a certain time span that you're like oh i see and the future that that the future bob um finds himself in is one where society has basically allowed the censorship mindset to to just take over um it's clear that at some point in this this world's past 
some big corporation kind of like Google or something like that, or a bunch of just like, you know, internet trolls or SJW people on, on, you know, just, you know, free speech kind of, you know, defiers have just taken over. So everything is like you, you upvote and downvote everything automatically. Um, the use of the word buddy is really, really, really over, just, 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 it's overblown. Like you can't say anything. They ban the word bro. So you can't even say the word bro. <laughs> everything is just buddy. Um, and just everything is like, you can tell like it's an infantile society. Like everything has just gotten dumbed down and everybody's constantly asking their AIs to clarify things. And it's just become this like weird, like sterile infantile world where AI is not evil, but it's AI. Everybody's so over dependent on it that they've just forgotten how to do basic, simple human things. And it's kind of the world. You don't know if it's the moon or the earth, but they're all in some kind of you know, colony, some sort of like futuristic space colony and they're building walls and things. And the main, the future Bob, it starts off with him getting a crack in his helmet and they're all wearing these kind of like stylish space helmets. And there's no clear reason as to why they're wearing them. It does, you know, there's not a line that's like, you know, Bob, your helmet, you know, you're going to die from the toxic fumes. That's never really explained. It's just, he knows that there's, you know, he's got this crack in his helmet and it's causing him problems. So like, when he takes his daily supplements, he's got to like throw them into the crack in the helmet because he can't he can't uh, eat them the, the way he used to. So these supplements just keep kind of like piling at the bottom of his helmet because they rarely go into his mouth. Um, it's okay. just it's, it's things like that. So that's where the office space kind of mindset comes in because he's trying to get this helmet fixed. And every person he talks to is just like the most obnoxious um, you know, just like buy the book customer service thing. He's like, he comes to this one guy's like, look, I already have my requisition form. I just need you to fix this. You don't have to go through all the rigor, the all the rigmarole. And the guy still opens up his book. He's like, good day, citizen. Let me ask you what your problem. He's like, no, I don't need that. I don't need to do that. I just need you to fix this. And then like, so he can't, basic things can't happen. And it's even freaky enough where it's like that they won't fix his helmet because the helmets are supposed to have been perfect. And if there's a broken helmet, that means that it wasn't perfect and nobody knows how to deal with that. So it's like, well, we can't fix, we can only, you know, uh, helmets aren't supposed to be fixed. So there's no, nothing to do here. This is an anomaly and they just leave it be. So he's constantly trying to like work around and like, you know, he's got this, he can't take the helmet off. So he just keeps like stuffing these supplements down there, hoping they'll fall in his mouth and they all kind of pile up. And he has this crazy, you know, goofy straw that he uses to drink. And it just, it, it kind of starts messing with his life and he becomes more and more just depressed with the mundane situation he's found himself in. He's so got a, he's I got, got a, a bit, oh, sorry. I got a question. So you, you mentioned that, that you, you kind of sideswiped into office space there, but is there a, is this, is the fact that they're both named Bob a reference to office space? I mean, are we supposed to take something from that? Is it? No, that, no. Okay. If anything, it's just a, a cheeky little wink. Um, okay. it's, it's not like, you know, it's these, the, the thematic reference is, is just that it's just, it's not, don't take anything more from it. But you can kind of tell, like that was that. I think that movie and her were floating through his mind when he was right. crafting this. It just it kind of it has a lot of that going on. Um, you know, he's got a big the future Bob's got a big robot, you know, friend robot that I think he just calls like his. You know, they they all call they all call each other buddies. So sometimes it's hard to figure out like who's talking to who. But he's got this like giant uh, kind of um, robot friend that helps him. It's got like an, a floating AI like kind of head that kind of bops around like a smiley face head. Um, he finds an old helmet. Then this is in the first couple pages. Right after his helmet breaks, he realizes it's because an, an old helmet from like some other time hits his helmet and they open it up and there's a skull of, of somebody in there. And so he takes that helmet home and he smuggles it away. All is to be said, once his helmet breaks 
um, he starts to kind of slowly see the world for what it is. And so he starts to challenge the system a little bit, ask questions. <laughs> you know, they even ban the word want. So like he says the word want for the first time and his robot, his big AI robot friends like want, what does that mean? And he has to try to like rationalize what the word want means. Um, so it kind of like, that's one storyline that's sort of in motion. And like, he's, you know, and he's even tr starting to corrupt the robot too. He's like, you know, haven't you ever just wanted to just, just, you know, you, you build things like your programming, like says you need to build walls. Have you ever wanted just to destroy things? And it cuts to the robot's point of view. And he's imagining what it would be like in a world where he and Bob are just, you know, literally destroying everything. And like, they're all happy and you know <laughs> running around. So he's trying to corrupt this, this robot friend of his too. And meanwhile, at some point in the book, it hard cuts to the Bob of the past. The Bob of the past works at this, this kind of equivalent, Google equivalent called bougie or bougie. I think it might even be spelled like the, you know, the, the you know, meme term bougie, but it's B-O-O-J-I. And it's this giant search company. And his boss is an elderly Mark Zuckerberg equivalent who's just gone mad with power. So like, you can see that the future Bob, his world is built on this, on the decisions being made in this current Bob's timeline. So like you can see where the whole use of the word buddy is, is coming from. And the whole idea is that the search engine has taken everybody's data and it's in, they're going to expose it. Well, at first they were going to sell it and then they're going to try to, ex the past Bob is going to basically set it free. So everybody just knows everything about everybody. It's kind of like that South Park episode where they, uh, you know, they're trying to expose all the trolls to everybody in the world. And it was like this big deal, kind of the same thing. So this, you know, past Bob is setting in motion this whole idea that we're not going to have secrets anymore. Everybody's online profile will be searchable by anybody else. Your all your history and everything. And then, the, you know, come of that what may. And so he puts that into motion and like, you know, society starts to break down. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much more after that, because at that point, his relationship to future Bob starts to solidify. And you're like, oh, I see. So story-wise, it's, 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 it starts to really kind of, yeah, it, what made little sense in the beginning starts to really make a lot of sense. And you're like, oh, okay, I see. And it all kind of fits together nicely, especially the closer you get to the end. The, the one quote from past Bob that really sums up the whole book for me is when he looks at his wife and he goes, there, there's something happens to them and they're kind of like left, kind of just staring off into the distance. And he goes, turns out the whole future is pretty stupid, hon. We should probably just get used to it. So like <laughs> what happens as a result of technology and our dependence on it and what we, what we, what hopes and dreams we put into AI, like, like this is sort of a, a dark version of that, but not a, like, it's not like, you know, Terminator occurs or you know, any of that stuff. It, it is more like her where it's like, what if, what if the, you know, kind of future result of all this technology and sort of this irrational, uh, propagation of it. What if it's if it's ultimately you know it harms humanity, but it's benign. It's just you know the technology kind of trying to figure out what it wants to be and do. And it's not necessarily like you know it's, there's not some evil motive so much as just people making selfish decisions and technology also making selfish decisions. So it's just like oh interesting, like that could possibly happen. It's especially interesting considering even since the book came out, how much we're looking at companies like Facebook and Google, et cetera, and what, you know, what our relationship with them is, you know, how we're letting their algorithms um, either contaminate or benefit uh, culture and like, you know, behavior and all that kind of stuff. So it's all of these things are, are right there and, and 
nice and juicy and clearly the things Jonathan Colton cares about and has thought about. And uh, the art is really, really great. It, it's sort of slightly reminiscent of A Tale of Sand, um, kind of that big, bold, um, you know, Eisner-esque kind of, kind of look. Uh, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to say it's too much it. like that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It did. Do you know if uh, Montes did the, um, the colors as well, or is there a colorist we should credit? That's as? a great question. Cause the colors are honestly some of the best of it. Lettering by Bear Bank. <laughs> it doesn't say, I think art, I think the color is uh, Albert Montes as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it's almost that, um, uh, who's that guy? I'm trying to say this. Uh, well, no, that's not right. But it's like it's sort it's sort of cartoony. Yeah, you know, it's not hard sci-fi comic stuff. It's it is mm-hmm. the opposite of like the black science saga. Yes, kind of great. You know, this is yeah, and um, it's good to which is good because if this was that tone really matters right. because the story right. they're telling is not like future dystopia. The story they're telling is like here's this guy at one at one end of the time stream, and here's this other guy at the other end. And they're both, it's almost like the past Bob is the Bob at the end, at the beginning of the end. And the other Bob, future Bob, is the Bob at the end of the beginning or something like that. <laughs> um, flip, you know, strike that or reverse it. So it's like, it, it's these two guys and how they're both dealing with technology and their own life situation. So the look and the feel has got to be more friendly, more approachable, more sort of. Uh, uh, um, innocent if you will you know there's not it, they don't you don't want to color the story and the commentary and the themes with some you know sort of dark twisted um sort of thing so i'm glad yeah, sort of the really... difference between uh, the difference between approaching it as like the absurdity of this situation versus yes the dystopian horror is in the art you yes. know like you could probably have these the same dialogue uh, uh, drawn in the black science style and it would look like a terrible horrifying dystopia but Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with these illustrations it yeah it kind of reemphasizes that this is just absurd yeah, yeah. i mean and i'm looking is- at the panels where he's trying to throw the pills the little supplements in through the hole you know yeah 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 it's good it's good no I, I, and the color is really good now i bought it physically uh i don't know i'm sure they sell it digitally but the physical um I don't know. There's once you kind of know this is built on a concept album you kind of want the physical artifact too um yeah, it's all it's all soft covers. So there's not like a hardcover version of it. Uh, but I wonder if what the story would be like, cause the panels are set up very cleanly. So I'm imagining in comiXology panel view, it would probably be just as fulfilling. Um, there's nothing in the page turns that spoils anything. You know, some, you kind of like the art being big and bold because the colors are really, really good on the page and everything just kind of looks, it feels like almost like a children's book in some ways just based on yeah. the art and based on the, the flow of it. But you got that. And if you're listening to the actual album in the background, it's kind of a nice one-two punch. Oh, um, nice. But I would be curious if anybody does buy it digitally to hear if they had a different experience. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, when I was Googling around, I didn't, I'm, I'm like you, I'm sure it is available digitally, but uh, on Amazon, the paperback is, you know, 1599. Uh, Colton does sell a hardcover of it on his website. Does he? Okay. Yeah. 50 bucks. Oh, <laughs> um, but I yeah, I mean, worth that. if it comes with a vinyl uh, press as well, that might be cool. I don't know if I'd spend 50 bucks on a hardcover though. Yeah, wait, Actually, I'm looking at it. He, it does not look like he's selling a package of all this. He should be. That seems so sell, obvious. Like he sells the, yeah, the CD, which he calls old fashioned and the vinyl. 
Old and the fashion. book, but they're all separate. Yeah, there should be a one like one kit where you get the t-shirt, the book, and the vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This I I especially what you said about um like almost looking like a children's book because of that square format and then the panels being mostly square or rectangular. Like it doesn't, at least what I've flipped through, you know, and just art samples online, I haven't seen any panels where they're really breaking that format. You know, it yeah. almost reads like Sunday comics kind of four panel format per page. Mm -hmm. uh, not that things are wrapped up in those four panels, but um, it gives it a more childish more innocent, uh, yes. you know, <laughs> direction, I guess. Yeah. And, th and that's, like I said, the society that they find themselves in is, I'm going to keep using that word is a little bit more infantile. And so yeah. the art sort of supporting that, like this beautiful world that we've created for ourselves looks like this. I like that. It sort of reinforces that notion, like that everything looks, you know, clean and pretty and safe, but yet there's something kind of wrong under the surface. And it's, <laughs> it, you know, what is that? But not in a horrific, like, you know, Everything's going to collapse kind of way, um, at least on the future side of things. There's, it's, it's more about these personal journeys of these two guys. And yeah, there's some big ramifications for the rest of the world that they interact with. But it really is more about like these two guys trying to find their way through the human condition as they see it you know, at their respective places and times. Hmm. So when was it published? You may have said that already. And I uh, last year. Oh, okay. Check that because I... I saw a glimpse of 2017, but let me just see. I have it pulled up on image too, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, all the reviews I saw were 2017. So that yeah. would totally make July, sense. July, a year ago, July 26, okay. 2017. Well, that, that actually makes it more interesting. I would think sort of from the innocent appearance of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, given the conversation we had on Citizen Jack a couple of weeks ago, it's, you know, it's almost kind of hard to go in with that innocent absurdity these days, especially with sort of the, Twitter and Facebook news. I mean, I'm sure Colton was working on this years before mm -hmm. uh, we sort of learned how much we were being manipulated, but um, you know, eh, gives it a timely sort of twist of the knife, I guess. I would say it's more <laughs> timely now than when he started down this, you know, the road of the project. I mean, he probably started in what, 2014, 2015. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. this is more, even more prescient. Uh, and will probably continue to be so until, you know, something fundamentally changes. Ah, once again, you have added a, a book to my, I have a TBR pile and now I have like just a to be purchased pile. <laughs> this is one more where, cause I, the, honestly, this square formatting looks so cool that I would not want to get it digitally. Yeah. I would, I would want to read it in that format. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't need the uh, guided view for it. Um, I think it's a book right up your alley, given yeah. all the things you're interested in and sort of your indie music mindset. Like you get the album and you get the book. I think it, it's someone like you would probably really take to this. Yeah, I um, crap. One more. <laughs> I'm, <not> making, <laughs> I'm barely making any progress in this. Uh, I know. My, in my TBR thing. Um, boy, I have got uh, man. It's I once again, I sort of marvel at when we pick books, we don't know what each other's picking. And then sometimes where they line up on themes um, and uh, you know, characterizations of society, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. What a, what a neat twofer. It's almost as if <laughs> um, it's almost as if we, we designed that, but uh, we didn't. Um, uh -huh. yeah. I, as I talked about in the last episode, um, I have, I, I went crazy reading when I was on vacation last week. So um I read two novels in three days um, and talked about the last one last time, which was Last Policeman. And the one I'm going to talk about today is called 
Chaotic Good by Whitney Gardner. Hmm. Um, so Chaotic Good uh, immediately is a reference to the dunge- Advanced Dungeons and Dragons um, uh, alignment chart where we have like uh, lawful good, uh, neutral good, chaotic good, you know, true neutral, lawful evil, chaotic evil. And there's a you know meme about people putting different faces in those slots and you know being like here's the brady bunch alignment chart or you know the Mad Men alignment chart or whatever um so chaotic good like sort of right off the bat i knew um what i was what i was in for here in in that sense like dungeons and dragons references and not a lawful good person um <laughs> but i and i cannot remember i, I tried to look it up because uh i it, it, it appears to me <laughs> This is how my memory works with my huge to be read pile. I thought I bought this like in May. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up on Twitter because I knew someone had pitched it in such a perfect elevator pitch way. Like there was a tweet, you know, like and probably in the in the 140 days um, where it was just like 140 characters that perfectly summed this up. And I went, oh, shit, I've pre- you know, ordered like right now. As soon as I read that tweet, um, I, I looked that tweet up so I could find the tweet that said when I ordered it, which was last September. <laughs> oh, geez. But I guess I pre-ordered it and it was released in March. Um, but still, I had this memory of like, yeah, this book's been on my shelf for three months. No. Um, <laughs> it's at and least been in the queue for a year, you know? Is that exciting, though? Or is that just sad when that when that happens? It's, you're like, oh, man. It's kind of sad because I, I do wish I could sort of think ahead a little bit. It's sort of like you were saying about the notifications. You know, um, Often we get those notifications where you can't pre-order something. Yeah. Um, and that's extremely frustrating. But I honestly, I mean, not to make a, a pitch for these people that I tried to get a refund from last week, but um, I really like the way Google movies, Google Play movies does their watch list mm. because you can just add a movie that's coming to your watch list mm. or a movie that's past your watch list. So it will give you notifications when uh, you know a, a movie is released, in other words, I don't have to pre-order Infinity War. Um, if I've put it on my watch list, it'll tell me the day it gets released, and then it'll tell me later if it's still on my watch list and the price lowers. It'll tell me like, hey, there's been a price reduction in this. So that's an easy way for me to have sort of a wish list of upcoming and past movies and mm. TV shows. You know, so I, I can kind of scroll through that, and that's how I ended up on Molly's game last night, for better or worse. But um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Chaotic Good, uh, anyway, this explains why when I sat down to read it, I, I sort of remembered, yeah, there was a great pitch for this, but um, I don't know really what it's about. I didn't remember picking it up, and that's probably a good thing, um, uh, just just for that surprise of anticipation, you know? And I also did this thing where uh, when I was reading last week, I was so frustrated when I opened up my Kindle and went through the uh the to-be-read file of novels, it was like the first one I open up, first-person narrator. Ugh, I don't want to read that. Second one I open up, first-person narrator. Third one I open up, first-person narrator. Fourth one I open up. And I'm like, oh my God, can anyone write a book in the third person anymore? <laughs> I don't know if Whitney Gardner can because this is in first person, but uh, I, I did settle. I settled on Last Policeman originally, which was first person. And then I went to uh, Chaotic Good after I finished that one. Uh, so I read two first-person narrator books last uh, last week. Anyway, Chaotic Good, YA novel. So it's young adult themed. Um, and it was a little like, I, you know, it was just like the, the most momentary hesitation when I started reading it and thought, I wonder if I'm going to get into this book. 
And by the time I was done, I was so surprised how deeply I got into this book. Hmm. It's not, um, uh, it, it's not a, you know, it's not like a meaning of life book where something so huge happens and you just, you're, you know, it's, it's not going to like change your life in that respect. I've never mm. read the fault in our stars, but that's sort of how people talk about the fault in our stars or, mm. you know, it's not, I didn't get that sort of feeling of like, Oh my God, this is like the book that explained it all. You know, this is a, um, heartbreaking work of, uh, indefatigable genius or whatever that title is. Um, mm. Uh, it is, it's just a cute story. Like it's, mm. it's like, a, um, you know, like a mean girls, uh, I would say mean boys in this case, or, um, the 10 things I hate about you or something like that. But just the way that, uh, Gardner, Whitney Gardner writes about these characters and sort of layers in things like there's not a lot of, um, uh, Last Policeman, for example, I, I mentioned, gives that flashback to where you you find out about his parents and how they died. And it's it's clear that, like, there's a heavy moment. But this one sort of, it does a thing that uh, the movie Eighth Grade sort of does, where it just sticks you in that moment. And you're mm-hmm. and you kind of feel the stakes for that that person, especially, I guess, because it's first person narrator. You're You're sort of feeling, you know, in the giant scheme of things her being harassed in a comic book shop is not like an earth changing event, but for a teenager in that moment, like this is a crisis, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. you feel that sort of you're in that world of like, Oh, this, these are the stakes here and they are high, you know? Mm -hmm. So the story is um, about a girl. We assume is about like 17. I think she's entering her senior year, but she may be 16. Um, there are constant references that her brother is always like, you need to learn to drive. You need to get your driver's license because she relies on him to drive her around. So we know she is of driving age. Her name is Cameron Birch. Her brother is her twin. Um, his name just slipped out of my <laughs> memory. Um, but uh, anyway, she is her family, their family. Parents are still together. Uh, parents apparently love each other very much. It's um you know, it's very like wholesome kind of family. Like she is supported, you know, and she recognizes that and she knows um, that her, uh, you know, that, that she's being supported, but they've moved from uh, Portland to, Oh shit. I'm going to forget this town again too. Um, but they moved to uh, Eugene. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Eureka. Not far like down that. the road. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So she's, they've moved to this smaller town. So her mom can take this job. Um, and, it's definitely upset everything as they go into their senior year, she and her twin brother. Um, and one of the early scenes is she goes to this comic book shop because she wants, she's a cosplayer and not only that, she is a costumer and she's a very accomplished costumer. So she goes in a comic shop to buy comics featuring specific superheroes because she wants to make their costumes. Mm. Um, and she is like off the bat, uh, insulted and um, just marginalized literally by the comic shop uh, clerk who's there. Is it, clerk, a, is it a cliche Simpsons comic book guy kind of it, guy? You get that feeling for sure. Um, so she, uh, you know, he he tries to point her to the girls section that they have <laughs> where it's like one shelf. Like she's looking for a squirrel girl issue and he's like, yeah, you know, your boyfriend's not going to like that. And she's She's like, I'm not shopping for my boyfriend. And so he's like, we probably would like our girls section then. And 
you know, and then she makes the mistake when she's checking out. She's like, I just got to get out of here, you know, and then she makes the mistake of saying something like, I just like this person's costume. And he's like, oh, my God, you're one of those cosplaying, you know, bitches. And, you know, you don't you don't even like the comics or the characters themselves. You just like the he's and he's super insulting or whatever. Um, And there's a moment of like where you, you know, the guy you think is sort of going to be her savior comes in the door like a, a sort of a geekier, nicer version of the comic shop guy. Mm. Um, but he doesn't really stand up for, her. Mm. and you know, especially a, as a guy reading that it's like, whew, you know, I unfortunately identify with that guy. Like, you know, when there's mm. a really obnoxious big dude, like I, I know what I'm supposed to do is, is jump in there and be like, Hey, don't, you know, shut up, dude, you're being a jerk to this, this woman. Mm. But, but it's, you know, it's like I, <laughs> reading that I was like, I'm being accused but I have to admit, like, yep, that's probably what I would do, too. I would be the, mm. the sheepish geek that's like, I don't even know how to intercede in this moment. Mm-hmm. So she leaves, you know, storms out thinking they're both assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as mentioned, she is a costumer. She's really um, accomplished in that. Like, she makes these great costumes that everyone loves. Um, so she is a geek, you know, and she feels like I've got everything I like is geeky. I go to cons. I make costumes, you know, like she's, she's like, she has a different appreciation for comic book characters than a a dude who insists that it's just about the stories or the heroes. You know, this guy bashes Dazzler. He thinks that's a terrible hero. And um, so she is, uh, which is true. (laughs) I love Dazzler. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, so, um, you know, she, she feels defined as a geek and she doesn't. And, and so there's immediately that setup of like geek worlds. And I, I felt this, especially in the very deliberate way that the novel is written. Like it is just very straightforward there. It is not, you know, I mean, it's a young adult novel, so it's not like a literary voice. It's just a very um, conversational voice Mm. where the author is definitely, you know, inhabiting that voice of like a 17 year old girl who's frustrated by this. So it's not an arch, you know, like, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, I almost said omnipotent, but omniscient, um, voice or anything like that. It's pause, like, pause real quick. And yeah. I apologize. Uh, I'd sort of gotten lost on your, your <laughs> origin. You're, you're opening. Is this all first person present tense? What's yeah. the, well, it's it not is. present tense, but it's, um, yeah, but it's all first person. And I mean, you get the feeling it's happening in the, in the present, but it's the narrative past that it's written in. Do you think, I mean, really quick, do you think that um, hunger games put that? So, I mean, like, cause it seems like I haven't, I have not heard of a YA book to your point that is third person past or just third person at all in a long time. And I'm wondering like every time there's a female character or a female protagonist, more specifically, it seems like we can't write books with female protagonists of a young nature that aren't, that they have to all be first person. It just seems well, like an interesting choice to always make. I wouldn't put that on. Uh, I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't put that on Hunger Game games or necessarily books about female protagonists because I, I know I read a, a Frank Portman YA novel, you know, ten plus years ago or whatever, and that was a male protagonist in first person. I think that's more of like just a YA trope. A YA thing. Okay. I don't, I don't. And I don't know that it necessarily like changed at some moment, but it it probably helped the explosion of um of you know why literature like it probably helped the growth of it and the popularity of it and certainly hunger games did 
um, mm-hmm. in that, you know, I'll take that back. This is in the, it is in the present, I think. Anyway, sorry to get hung up on tenses. Um, so I, cause there's so, <laughs> there's so much, so many details and I, I want to spill them to, uh, get into like the the layering of this was what was so fantastic. So there's mm. this girl who's a costumer. You sort of find out accidentally that she's a twin, not accidentally, but just incidentally later. It's not just, she doesn't just lay that out. You know, it's not like the first chapter is, my name is Cameron and we just moved to Eugene from Portland and my brother's name is this and he's my twin and he has a license and I don't, you know, take note, Aaron Sorkin. You don't have to just <laughs> lay it all out in the first chapter. Um, oh. Shucks. So it's like you keep discovering these layers. So at some point, pretty quickly in there, she um, wants to go back to the comic book store. She wants to get, uh, oh, she gets a commission. That's why she goes back. So she gets a commission um, because she has a blog where she puts her costumes on there. And her brother is always checking her email. And he, um, because he always guesses her passwords. And he's the one that comes to her and tells her, like, you got to check this out. And she's immediately scared that he's been in her email, but he says, you got a commission. This guy wants to pay $300 for this costume. So she has to go back to the comic book shop to look that hero up and get a good view of their costume mm-hmm. that she can't get online. And um, she doesn't want to go back there. There's only one comic book store in town. She's like, I know I'm going to have to face those two jerks. I don't know what to do. And so she puts on her brother's jeans um, and uh, just a, you know, t-shirt i think i'm not sure if it's a t-shirt she's made at that point or not and then pulls a beanie you know tucks her hair up into a beanie and she's like i look like a boy i look like my brother Mm -hmm. so she just sort of you know shuffles in there and starts going through the racks and sure enough like the guys in the comic book store don't bother her (laughs) they don't even notice her presence you know they're at one point you know come by and they're like hey you need any help finding something and and she's like no thanks dude so uh, charged by this successful, um, you know, venture to the comic book store. And then it turns out that the, the nice guy, comic book guy, uh, really likes her t-shirt that she's wearing compliments, the t-shirt she's wearing. She says, Oh, I made it. And he's like, no way. And so, you know, she's charged by that. She's sort of emboldened to try, um, being, you know, playing this boy role. So (laughs) (laughs) there's this, um, fascinating like and they they call attention to this like the writer is like you know oh man it's like i'm stuck in a bad amanda Bynes movie you know (laughs) um they call attention to that trope of of girls dressing like guys to be accepted Mm -hmm. uh but i think that all these layers on there like the sort of casual uh comic book shop misogyny and the fact that she has a twin brother that looks just like her and you know all these things um uh change that trope just enough where you're like, Oh, I can't wait to start. So then it turns out. So then uh, she's applying to this program to Cal arts. This is her major like motivation through this is that by the end of the summer, she has to go present some costumes um, to a recruiter for Cal arts. Cause she wants to go into their costuming program. Uh, so she has to complete a number of costumes and she doesn't know, and they have to be original characters and then one twist on uh, an existing character. And, she doesn't know how to create these characters and her dad, who's this, you know, very like um, sort of, you get the idea that he's sort of just the, the nice guy, you know, he's not like alpha male dude. He's just sort of, he gardens all day. He's not working because his, you know, they moved here for his wife's job. And so she's expressing this frustration to him. And he says, I got the thing to help you. And he takes her into the garage, climbs up on this rickety ladder, you know, pulls this dusty box out and hands her his dungeons and dragons 
um, player's manual. Mm. And she's like, what is this? I don't want to learn to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he goes, there's a whole system in here for creating characters. All you need are some dice and you can start creating characters. Like you can just randomly roll your original characters. You don't have to be a writer to make up characters. You know, mm -hmm. it'll just engage your imagination. So there's this other layer of the D&D &D thing. So then she finds out she needs a D20. By the way, every chapter number is the side of a D20 corresponding to that <laughs> chapter. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she goes back to the comic book store to buy a D20. The nice guy clerk, you know, sells her these two different ones. And uh, I guess at that point gets her number because he says, hey, would you be interested? She's dressed as a boy. Would you be interested in, in maybe playing D&D sometime? Um, he gets her number off of a sign-up sheet. Not, he doesn't like ask for a number. Um, he texts her later and says, we're trying to start this D and D game. She's like, Hey, I'm, I'm a real beginner. You know, I'm just reading the book now. And, um, and he says, yeah, but we need five players. Don't worry. We're all beginners. So she goes to this game with her brother in tow and she's dressed as boy, of course. And it's the mean comic book clerk, the nice comic book clerk, her brother, her, and then of course, like this really cute dungeon master. Mm -hmm. So, then <laughs> there's this other layer of like the nice guy comic book clerk we eventually learn is gay. And so is her brother. And they're sort of having a meet cute in this D&D &D game, even though the brother is not as geeky as Cameron is. And then the dungeon master and Cameron are kind of having this meet cute. But Cameron is dressed as a boy and nobody knows that it's a girl, you know, and occasionally like she'll laugh in this girlish way and then she'll have to cover it up. and be, Oh, sorry, dude, you know, or whatever. Um and I was just, I, I just loved all of these things. And in the background to all of this is that she has gone to a con recently dressed as a character that her friend suggested, and she's won the costume contest. And on stage of the costume contest, the uh, host asks what her favorite part of this video game is that she's dressed as. And she says, honestly, I don't even play it. I just love the costumes. And so she has engendered all this hate from all these comic bros and the fact that I'm reading this during Comics Gate is crazy. But uh, <laughs> all these comics bros at this convention have found her blog now and are just sending her hateful email all the time. And a ton of it is recreated in the book. And it is so accurate and so gross, you wow. know, to what we see online when, when dudes do this. But she will not tell her brother this because she knows how much he was harassed when he came out at their last school. Mm. And she feels like he's just barely getting over that. I don't want to, you know, bring this up. And then, and then I'm taking away from him and his, you know, she feels like his thing is real. You know, he's really gay and he was really harassed for that. This is a fake controversy. I just made yeah. a costume. Yeah. But, but, you know, as, as all these characters sort of interact and everything, it, it's clear, like, like I said, like this, these are the real stakes. Like that is a real problem you know just uh, uh it's hard to compare it to to the uh harassment of coming out when people don't accept that but um you know as a teenager i don't know that you're operating on that same scale getting harassed in a comic book shop is just as awful as getting harassed because you're you're gay at that point in your life or something you know it's a thing you can't change uh that people are harassing you for and yeah, all the all the stakes are well, raised. You, you, know, you the can you can go into a better comic shop at some you know, if, if right. Here now, here let me let me sidebar real quick because I'm fascinated by that scene. Is it? And maybe I'm just uh, maybe I I just kind of 
naturally gravitate towards it, you know, parts of the business and the industry where it's like this, I just never noticed this, but is there really a backlash or a stigma when you like a character purely for their design or their costume versus like, you know, the mythology? I mean, I, I'm just thinking about so many video games. You see a lot of video game cosplay. It's just like, well, yeah, but I, how many of these people actually play the games versus just like, that looks cool. Cause it, in my mind, the design of the character is just as legitimate as liking the story and everything else. You know, it's in fact, probably more so than any other medium. Yeah. I think so it just seems odd that they'd be like, you dressed up in this, like if you make a really good cosplay, but yet you aren't familiar with the inherent mechanisms of the story, it doesn't matter. I, uh, on one hand, I'm like you, but I realize like we're approaching this as adult men. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> This is, you know, those are not the stakes in our lives um, uh, right now. But, but I, I accept it as true. Like, I, I mean, I've, you know, I, this is what I saw it happen during Gamergate, um, where guys were harassing women because of the type of games they wanted to play, or because oh, of a certain God. character they wanted to play in that game, or something. And, um, and it's happening right now. I think to an extent in Comicsgate, I haven't really followed that terrible i've stayed from, far away from that because yeah. the whole thing just makes me i'm like i'm just so confused None of it makes sense. Like, just so, like, what is the problem like what are what are like not not what is the problem to the women like what are these do what are these dudes like what are they so upset about like i don't understand like the honestly, rationality of it i i <laughs> no i don't either if you're a fan of something the only thing i can i can kind of relate it to in my life is uh when i was much more of a music snob and yeah. and then a band would become popular and people, you know, and people wouldn't know about their last album or something. You know, they're just there for the hits and you kind of feel like, ah, get out of my scene. You know, like they were cool when I could see them in clubs or whatever. Oh, but, I see. you know, okay. I've gotten over that, too. I, it, it's like the Rose Tycho test that we talked about several episodes ago. I just how much of it is like really misogyny, how much of it is in the troll's mind, a legitimate gripe. And, and, and well, does, and does it make a difference? You know, if you harass a woman by calling her a cunt in an email to her, an anonymous yeah. email to her, it, you're a harasser. Like if you, yeah. you know, if you jump in, uh, um, uh, Kelly Marie's Instagram comments and say shitty things, you're a shitty dude. It doesn't matter yeah. if your grievance yeah. is like just perceived or, or real or whatever. Like that's just an impolite thing to do. I think, what, well, I think that's I, where I, this really brings that home is like, it's, you know, uh, Man, and really pair this with eighth grade the movie because in eighth grade the movie, I haven't movie, seen it yet. I haven't girl, seen it yet. The, Go ahead. the protagonist is making a vlog and living in the internet full time. You know, like that's there's nothing weird or science science fictiony about it. Like it's just portraying the life of a, a kid these days. And so she makes a vlog and she's really opening herself up on this vlog and she gets no comments, no responses. You know, no <laughs> no views, no subscribers or anything. And I, I totally identify with that world. I put out plenty of things that everyone ignored. And in this book, when you know Cameron uh, suddenly wins this one costume contest for a costume that's legitimately amazing, all of a sudden her blog that was previously unnoticed is full of people calling her a cunt. You oh, know, and it's like geez. Jesus Christ! Like, how could anyone navigate around that? You know. So there's that other layer of she ha she confronts the troll in her life in the Amanda Bynes, she's the man sort of trope, you know, like mm. dressed as a boy, she's 
she's interacting with this other boy who's harass harassing women. So you there's know, and, one main guy who's like kind of the, the leader of the whole, or at least the focal point of all that. Well, yeah, I mean, he's sort of, yeah, he's like the avatar for that. And eventually okay. she finds a comment from him on her blog. So, and finds him just sort of piling on with everyone else and brings that up to him. But of course, you know, for this to be a good, like, story it can't just sort of resolve in that perfect way where she just has a nice intellectual conversation with him like there's a you know several blow-ups and breakdowns among the friends and the D, D group that they all and you know they all enjoyed being in this group and it's just uh it's really cool and another element to how cool this is is uh whitney the author is an illustrator so a lot of times when they're in the D D game um, and the, the DM is, you know, describing a scene and then he throws it to the characters. Like, what are you going to do? You flip the page and it's illustrated like a comic book as the characters. So it's like, the, it's the characters in the book as their D and D characters saying exactly what they're going to say in the game. You know, oh, like there's, cool. a, there's an elf right there going, I'm going to, you know, find the magic spell here or whatever. And the other one going like, I'm going to use my intuition and look around for you know, the hidden map or whatever. It's like all of a sudden, like you're just it's there's a clear break of like, whoop, we're in fantasy world, you know, and then you're back out in the just normal prose of the the novel. So, um, yeah, I've rambled on about that too much. I was so, uh, so surprised by it, I think, because I, I have not read a lot of YA literature, but, um, I've read enough, I think that I, I know what to feel going in and out. You know, it's sort of like I know what the story's. I, I don't know. You know, it's like I'm like I'm not expecting a, a, a fault in our stars or whatever. I'm expecting yeah, you know, like yeah. these smaller stories that are, you know, just good like tween movies or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just for this one to be so layered. And oh, I'll tell you another thing about reading this as an adult man, um, and having that that perfectly synthesized. You know. Uh, late teenage girl voice in it is there is a scene like I, I I hesitate to call it a sex scene, but it's like a love scene between Cameron and the dungeon master that she eventually starts dating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it is such an, it is such a sexy depiction of consent. <laughs> <laughs> it was that's like, a great blurb for the back such a sexy depiction of i know time. and <laughs> i i mean honestly i was like wow like uh and again it's not written in some like flowery you know uh dressed up language it's just written in like plain speak and and uh you know as they're making out this the the um the man or the other boy or whatever we want to call him. Um, I don't know. I don't know when you're at 17, I'm kind of like, you're still a boy to me, <laughs> but a youth. yeah, the, the youth. Um, so he's a, you know, he just, he keeps saying like, may I before he proceeds, mm -hmm. but it's like, after this happens over and over, you're like, Oh wow. Now this is, this is like borderline dirty talk at this point. You know, it's like, I mean, it's just legitimately like, wow, I, I'm so impressed to see a scene written so simply that has like real like sexual chemistry and depicts consent in such a great way. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there's so many times, even if it's in a, if, whether it's in a YA novel or an adult novel where sex is written in a, the, the approach to it is almost like 
it's going to, you know, we all know it's awkward. So we're going to write this scene in a way that like sort of heightens that awkwardness. And, you know, it's sort of like played for humor and maybe some grossness or something. It's, you know, even if it's, I don't know. Um, and then, and then when they're written to be sexy, they're like way too fantastic. Yeah. You know? yeah. And this was like, nope, that is really what it would be like to be making out with this costume designer on the floor of her studio, you know, in the upstairs of her parents' house. Like, did you feel, did you feel weird being an older man reading that? Well, I, I think also because it's written by, um, uh, because it was, you know, first of all, because it's a, a YA novel and also just because of that first person, you know, uh, young woman's perspective, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't sexualized in that. Yeah, in that sure. Way. But did you yeah. still feel weird? Like you were reading a, a young girl's diary or something or like that. Oh, I shouldn't be knowing this. I like, guess I, I don't know that I felt weird. That's actually a really good question. Cause it, um, I didn't, I didn't feel like, <laughs> sorry for this word aroused by it. Sure. I just sure. felt, um, uh, very interested in the way that the scene was taking place. Like I was very, um, like I, like I was just taken by the way that it was written so well, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so did, but um, to your point, I think I just felt like she did a great job. The author of putting me in the mindset of the woman in that moment. Yeah. And it was like, I, I, I get it, you know, mm-hmm. like this, yes, consent is sexy and this is a way to do it uh, and, and maintain its sexiness. And, you know, cause there's sort of a, 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 a joke, especially in back in my day, but in my generation, when the first um, uh, uh, university sort of um, advice on you know getting consent before um, you know <laughs> sexual events, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I talk like Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> uh, the definition was, of is is widely mocked as though it's a, it's if there's a formality to it. You know, you're yeah. sitting across the table from each other, like, well, can I touch your breast? You know, and and there was like a ton of mockery towards it on you know Saturday Night Live and other places of mm-hmm. of it's going to be it's going to take the sexiness out of it. And this was just a great uh, depiction of like, no, it's not, and this is how it's done, and even seventeen year olds can do that, and it's understandable and here it is from a woman's perspective. And, and it was, it was just great to read that as a, a grown man who sort of watched from the sidelines of this, you know, this debate and, 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 you know, I don't know. It's the same thing we're all navigating. Like I, you know, what's, what's being too politically correct and what's, what's just being a considerate uh, human being. And, and where do we find the middle ground there that lets us communicate like human beings, but respect everyone's, uh, you know, uh, boundaries and, and desires. And yeah. anyway, so yeah. boy, I've rambled about that. I don't, you know, I just knowing our audience, <laughs> this is not a book that's, I don't know that our audience is necessarily male. I don't mean it in that way, but um, uh, I, it, it, it doesn't necessarily appeal to the uh, adult graphic novel crowd, you know? Got it. Um, okay. I, uh, I just, I really enjoyed it. I'll probably read and talk about other YA novels. Uh, I would love to have some YA novel like authors on our podcast and talk mm. to them. Like it'd be, you know, it'd be great to, to read this stuff. Um, and I, and I think for all those like tangential reasons and you know, like you brought up, like, is this really a, a, a deal? Like who could really care about the costume someone's wearing, you know, like 
I mean, those are things you and I wonder about. It's like we're not necessarily in that world where that conflict is happening. Um, anyway, so uh, Chaotic Good, Whitney Gardner. Um, I want to say her new book is a graphic novel. Not totally sure. But hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, know she has, I know she has a new one out right now. Uh, I may actually go out and buy fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons and try, <laughs> try to find a game. So, nice. Uh, I like the, you know, when you mentioned, hey, I've got a novel novel to talk about last week and this week, you've done an excellent job of finding picks that really fit into the mold of what we've talked. It's not like, oh, cool. oh I'm reading Pride and Prejudice. Like, I'm right. talking about it. It's like, <laughs> it's like I, you know, you're finding, like, I, I'm actually intrigued uh, the next time you say, hey, I've got a novel. Like, I'm actually just as excited to hear what that is. And I'm, I'm glad you found a way to, to kind of work that kind of content oh. into this discussion, too. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. I um, like I said, I I don't know that my ex expectations were low upon reading this, but I, I what I expected, yeah, it wasn't a low high thing. I just thought, well, I'm going to read it, and it's going to be like watching an episode of Gilmore Girls or something. You know, it's gonna it's I'm not going to be so attached to it. But when I came out thinking like, ah, I kind of want the camaraderie of a D and D game, and yeah. I, you know, there's several scenes where I was so in that teenage girl's perspective that I, I saw things and, you know, I saw myself as one of the, the bit players in that scene mm -hmm. and was disappointed in my actions. And that, that sort of feeling was like, oh man, I'm having a deep experience with this. <laughs> this yeah. is a big deal. Um, so I'd really love to find other, other books like that. Uh, and I know, um, uh, a, a writer and, um, you know, speaker person I've followed on Twitter and plugged here before. I know Preeti Cheeber has uh, has a great list that she's kept, I think, on her blog or on Twitter. Um, that's all sort of uh, uh, YA literature that's sort of on the margins. You know, it's a lot of like LBGTQ um, literature and and uh, from minority perspectives in all sorts of ways. So that's a thing to like for me to check out you know i gotta I've read got a list. very very good question for you to cap this off is having read this do you think this works better as a ya novel or would it have worked better as a graphic novel and i'm specifically thinking about a book like seconds which mm. you know seconds could have been something that or even drama um which i'll talk about at some point like oh, yeah, yeah that's what i'm books, trying to think of yeah drama. yeah those could have been um uh easily just written as YA novels, but they chose the graphic novel format. In the case of Seconds, especially, it works brilliantly as a graphic novel, but it could have easily gone the other way. Uh, is this? Have you noticed that with either of these two books last week and this week? Is that something that you sort of felt yourself, you know, like, what would this yeah, have been like, maybe? I, that's a good question, because last week we talked about it specifically on, like, would Last Policeman make a better movie or series? Yeah. You know, and... um for this one, I I definitely enjoyed it as a novel. And I think for those reasons of like being put right in her perspective, I think, uh, and, and this is a very, very personal and like selfish perspective, but I think I, you know, as a, a man of middle age would not necessarily have had that visceral experience of being in this girl's shoes if it had not been first person like text like oh, even okay. even reading it as a graphic novel would have removed me sort of another step i would have been viewing panels of it happening not reading her words in my head as a yeah. description of it but 
but yeah, I mean, I can see other people, you know, thinking it, it appeals, you know, more as like in a graphic way, um, because it does that little flip during the D and D adventures where there'll be a page of, you know, comic panels. Um, you know, you kind of, I, I wouldn't say the best of both worlds, but it's, it's at least playing with the medium a little bit there, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I endorse this book, but I recognize that it is a different <laughs> appeals to a different, uh, audience than, than we usually do. Nothing so. wrong with that. Well, you can, f I, Oh, good. I, sorry. I got a tag on that. Yeah. I, yeah. I was reading something this week about the frustration with, uh, a little pat on the back for us, I guess, about the frustration with certain commentators only like treating comics like it's the big two or only talking about superheroes and stuff. Oh. And we talk about a shitload of superheroes for sure. Oh, we do. But I, yeah, I was I, reading that. I went, you know what? I am. I am so glad that every week we're we're basically picking two things that are off the beaten path. Usually, you know. Yeah, I mean, even when you pick the Ultimates number two, what's <laughs> <laughs> two years old? Like. uh <laughs> so it's uh even when we're talking about superheroes it's not a hype machine kind of talking about it no, but, uh, but i hope you know this episode and and all our others i think demonstrates that like these are two books that you're not gonna stumble across necessarily in your normal comic journeys so well especially because most comic shops are not to the level of what you'd find in portland especially but even like some in colorado springs like which are really good like i'm thinking of muse especially you know those are stories you can walk into i i sort of have the luxury of yeah. you know here locally but then you know, when i go to portland or i go to some of these other places like those, those shops are set up floating world you're gonna walk into floating world and you will be hard pressed i mean they have big two stuff but it's almost like that's the embarrassing you know shelves in the back like yeah we got dc and marvel but look at all this other cool stuff like they had a stack of solid states when you walked in last time Whoa. i was in there so it's like those there are stores where you'll find this stuff i feel like most people in most cities don't have access to those kinds of stores and i think this podcast at least my intention is to have this sort of supplement that so when you're you know you're going out to your favorite shop you're you can either ask them about it or look for it or just grab it online um have a have an outlet to more than just the big two well and i, I you know to throw a plug in there uh for comic shops um it, sometimes i mean i totally agree with everything you've said but sometimes even if the shop looks like it's only superheroes ask that clerk like yes. what's interesting what they're reading because uh clerks and comic book shops are the librarians of a kind of forgotten genre from, you know, the, or at least ignored by the mainstream or a marginalized yeah. genre. Like they know great comic books and great art. And I, I love having those conversations and I'm a, a pretty shy person, like to strangers. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy for me to strike up that conversation, but approaching it as a question and, and just watching them go down that rabbit hole, I always feel bad when I don't buy the thing that they've chased down the rabbit hole for me, you know, but yeah. it's. Um, oh, I know. Right. But, when they go to so much trouble and they talk, they give you their soliloquy about how much they love it. And yeah. you're like, thanks, but well, I don't. You and I had the funniest. Uh, you'll have to correct me on the I, uh, the name of the shop. I think it was a time warp with the um, the uh, older gentleman that owned the shop for a long time. Am I thinking the right one? Yeah. Um, where I've, I have played this game with so many clerks and it, I mean, I'm, I truly want the answer where I'm like, look, I'm looking for Adam Hughes work on justice league. <laughs> I've sent mm -hmm. 
many clerks down that rabbit hole and that dude <laughs> delivered it was yeah. so amazing and granted that's a big two but time warp has plenty of non-big two stuff um but i you know i've mentioned uh, uh laney ramirez who's um one of the clerks of the shop where i go but there uh, are two other clerks there uh mark and denise and all of them have different tastes and different expertises and all of them have recommended books to me that I've ended up purchasing. And I know you have the same experience because I've been fortunate enough to meet some of the clerks that you interact with. And it's like, yeah, this is, you know, that's the way to find books. Like hopefully we're here shining a light on, on two books a week, but uh, go to those local comic book shops and ask them what to read next. Cause they will have yeah. a good answer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's not, I've, I've diverted us again. No, um, no, no. you were about to wrap us up. Where can people find us? <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, people can find us wherever podcasts are uh, listened to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and a lot. You can also find us online. All our shows across their network are at findusthere.org. I am by Taylor Trask on Instagram and sometimes Twitter, but mainly Instagram. And you, sir? I am Hey Todd A on those places. Um, and like you, increasingly less on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Instagram is really <laughs> worth a lot these days. Which is terrible. I bet I tweet every single day, and I'm like, I hate this fucking place. I've just never, I mean, quick aside, I've just never, other than customer service interactions, I, I mean, I could post the most salacious thing on Twitter, and it's just crickets. Oh, like, yeah. nothing. Nothing I do ever gets any interaction. And I work, I do Twitter for clients, and never had this problem. But for me personally, it's just nothing ever it's like i'm just ignored in the twitter sphere i'm just like some lonely person shouting out so i mean i can post on instagram and get 50 responses within an hour on twitter same content nothing so <laughs> anyway hi that's, that's my problem to solve yeah you know listen to us at findusthere.org and subscribe to us uh forget twitter and instagram that's, that's where right. we'll be that's right. all right well until next week when i may have a very conventional comic book pick we'll see uh, we've yeah. been Todd and Taylor, and this is the Coffee and Comics Club. 